last week, we did uh, a special, important uh, vision um, message. And uh, so that vision message, um, it was all about God's vision for our lives and God's vision for, for our lives in 2023. And I say that to say, if you missed last week and you're part of our church, I would really encourage you to go back and listen and, uh, and, and check that out. But a couple things we talked about last week was the seven disciplines, which really are uh, tools in our toolbox helping us to follow Jesus. And we also introduced a tool called a spiritual reflection tool that really helps us assess where are we at and how is, what is the next step that I can take in my relationship with Jesus. And I just want to put that back up in front of you in case you missed it last week to encourage you to go back and listen to it. Or maybe you were here last week and you were like, it was on my to-do list to, to do the spiritual reflection tool and then I forgot or got busy. You can definitely go check that out and hopefully that is helpful to you. All right, before we dive into God's word, I want to take this time to dismiss our students age 7th through 12th grade. So if you're in 7th through 12th grade right now, you can head over to Bridge Sunday. I believe Pastor Mike is going to be preaching there. And while they're doing that, uh, why not everyone else stand up and uh, now you can tell people who you're cheering for in the NFL playoffs. Alrighty. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and grab them and turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And what we believe here is that uh, we practice teaching the Bible verse by verse. And what that means is we pick a book of the Bible and we just walk through it uh, every single week. And the goal of this is this is going to introduce you to everything in the Bible. Uh, so it's, it's easy for, for pastors like me just to pick the topics that we kind of like teaching on and teach on those. And so this is a good thing for you because this gives you the opportunity to say, I'm, I'm not just picking what I want to speak on. Uh, we're getting the whole counsel of God. The Apostle Paul, he said this. That, that when I was with you, he was talking to a specific church. He said, I did not hold back. I gave you the whole counsel of God. And so that's my desire and our desire as pastors as well. And if you're new, you picked a great week because we're starting this brand new book called Galatians. Uh, so Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 is where we're going to be. Um, we live in a day and an age where communication is cheaper and it's easier than it ever has been before. And it's no secret, all of us know this, that within a few taps on our screen, we can literally talk to anyone that we know um, anywhere in the world. And for me and my family, uh, all of the, my, my children's grandparents, my parents, and, and Katie's parents live in the Carolinas. And so we are oftentimes jumping on FaceTime to talk to grandma and grandpa or to talk to Lala and Papa, and we're, we're chatting with them. Maybe you have family members or friends who live in other countries, and so you're always jumping on WhatsApp and, and chatting and, and talking with them. 
And, and honestly, I feel like communication is so easy and so simple now that it's actually just very easy to like just take it for granted. Um, I don't know if you ever do this. There are times when I get texts and I just immediately get uh, overwhelmed. And so I'm like, I don't know what to respond. And so you just give them the old like thumbs up. Which that thumbs up is the universal sign of, I see you, I got nothing else to say to you. <laughs> like, appreciate the information that you sent me, but our conversation is now over. Um, if you want to be a little nicer, you can give them like the, the Seinfeld dancing emoji or what, whatever else. But the point is that communication is very easy and very simple. In the time of the Bible, it was actually completely the opposite. Um, to write a letter, to produce a piece of content to send someone was really hard and really expensive. Uh, the letter writing tools of pen and parchment and ink were pricey and they were hard to buy. Not everyone had access to them. Not everyone could write. Not everyone could read. And even sending a letter, you had to hire someone that was trustworthy to take the letter to them and maybe even to be able to read it to them since they couldn't read it for themselves and answer some simple questions about what the contents of the letter entailed. And so when Paul writes a letter, and by the way, much of the New Testament from Romans all the way to Revelation, um, really depending on if you uh, consider Revelation a, a, a letter or not, but from Romans all the way to Jude, all of this is letters. There are letters from pastors to churches expressing their care and their concern. And so each one of these letters was, was a painstaking project. It took a lot of effort to produce it. And so the question is, why is it so important to the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the Galatians? Well, we are going to find out. And we're going to start in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. So we're discovering a couple things here. First off, we are introduced to the writer of Galatians, and his name is Paul. Nowadays, uh, when we're writing a letter to someone, we usually start with the name of the person that we're writing to. And so like, uh, Dear Bob, Dear Joan. But, but at that time, they would always put their name at the top because often it was a scroll. And so the first thing you would do when you open the scrolls, you'd be able to see who wrote the letter. So he's saying, this is Paul. Now, one thing you need to know about Paul, and by the way, we're going to learn a lot about Paul uh, during uh, this series. But one thing you need to know is that Paul was a passionate man. Like he put his heart and his soul into everything he did. Be before he became a Christian, he literally uh, would go on road trips designed to kill Christians. He was so passionately against following Jesus and against Christ that he was like, I got to find every Christian I can and kill them and throw them in jail. Like not in that order, but you know, to, to get, to get rid of them, to eradicate the faith. Then he, he got radically saved and immediately he started not killing Christians, but actually preaching Jesus and converting people to become Christians. And he did his, poured his whole heart and his soul into this. Now, Here's the backstory. Paul gets saved. And then after he gets saved, he goes to his hometown of Tarsus. 
And he stayed there for three years. And during that time, he was learning and he was actually discovering how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Now, during that time, as Paul is living in Tarsus, there's this other church called Antioch. And Antioch is this small church, but it starts to explode. People are getting saved. Lives are getting changed. Radical and amazing things are happening. And during that time at the church at Antioch, they started to need a pastor. They needed someone to join the teaching team and to teach the people who uh, Jesus was and how to follow Jesus. And so there was a guy at Antioch, and his name was Barnabas. And he said, I know just the guy. And so we went to Tarsus. And he found Paul, and he brought Paul back to Antioch, and together they were teaching, and they were pastoring, and they did this for years and years and years. So this is what Paul is doing. He was saved, and now he's the, one of the pastors of a local church, helping to teach and equip them. But then one day, during a prayer meeting, something happened. You could say that they were holding their own version of prayer week, They didn't have like a graphic for it, I don't think, but they were holding their own version of prayer week and they were fasting and they were praying and God spoke to them and he said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the mission that I have called them to. And based on that, Paul and Barnabas, they sent out on a missions trip. Paul took four missions trips during his life and the first one is to a region called Galatia. Now, I'm going to put up a couple maps on the screen. And uh, the first one you're going to see is kind of of Africa, Middle East, Europe. And what we see here is that down in Jerusalem, that is sort of a hub of where Christianity started. If you were with us in the book of John, a lot of stuff happened in Jerusalem. Hundreds of miles north in Syria is this church at Antioch. Now, when Paul leaves with Barnabas to go on this missions trip, he leaves from Antioch. And we're going to see in the next slide, the first thing that he does is he goes to an island called Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. And then from there, they sail north into modern-day Turkey. And you see those four yellow dots. You don't need to know all of them. But those are the four churches that they, or the four towns that they visited. In each one of the towns, they would start a church. They would start getting persecuted and basically get chased out of the town. And so they would go to another town and start a church. And so all of a sudden there are these churches throughout the region of Galatia. Well, finally, Paul makes it back to Antioch and he's just doing his thing, teaching, preaching, leading. And he gets news and hears that something bad is happening throughout the churches in Antioch. And so he writes the book of Galatians to say, hey, there's a problem and I want to address the problem. So that is why we're in Galatians. That's why Galatians is in our Bibles. Let's look at verse three and it says this. His greeting to them is grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is kind of an opening blessing. And sometimes when I'm reading scripture like this, I'm kind of tempted to just like skip over the blessing, skip over kind of the introduction and just dive into the good part. But here's the thing. Paul is really including and packing a lot of theology into this section of scripture. It's vitally important, and we're going to see why in just a moment. But let's get to verse 6, because in verse 6, we're going to discover why is it that Paul is writing this letter? What is the problem that he is addressing? So he starts pretty strong. He says in verse 6, I am astonished. Everybody say, I'm shocked. I'm astonished. I'm astonished. 
that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. So they're deserting God and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have said already, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, if you're reading this and you're thinking to yourself, Paul is coming off a little harsh here, then you're absolutely right. That is exactly what's happening. In fact, if you read all of Paul's letters, you're going to discover that this is some of the harshest and most intense language that Paul uses anywhere in all of his writings. And so what we discover here is that first off, Paul's tone is just very intense. Maybe you're a student in here. Maybe you're a teenager or a young adult. And you know that your mom has that one tone of voice that she uses with you. Maybe you're a mom or a dad in here. And you're like, I know that tone of voice. It's the like, I love you, but I'm warning you and I will end you. It's that tone of voice, right? And so Paul is writing and he's saying, listen, I love you guys, but I'm issuing you a fierce warning. You need to realize that something very, very serious is happening. And so Paul is, he is frustrated at the Galatians, but he's actually not just frustrated at the Galatians. He's frustrated with someone who has started outside of the church and now they've come inside of the church and they're starting to bring confusion and they're bringing false doctrine. And I don't know if you notice, let's look again at verse eight. He says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, let them be under God's curse. And then he says the exact same thing again. If anyone is preaching another gospel, let them be under God's curse. And it's not interesting that even he mentions, even if an angel is preaching it. So in other words, if you have a supernatural experience That's leading you away from the gospel. That's a possibility, but but don't focus on an experience. Focus on the gospel. Focus on the true word of God. Always align any experience that you have with with the word of God. And he actually says this, let him be under God's curse. That word in the Greek is called anathema, and it is a very strong word. It means condemned. Let them be condemned to hell. He is not mixing his words here. He is using extreme language. And so here's the question. First off, what was Paul originally preaching? And then secondly, what is this message that is coming in that is trying to pervert what Paul's originally preaching. Well, first off, let's start with this. What is Paul's message? And what we see is that Paul's message is the gospel. Now, if you are here and you are maybe what, what, what I would call a veteran Christian, so maybe you've been around for five years, 10 years, 20 years, maybe right now you're tempted to be like, oh, the gospel, I've heard that. Like, I'll check out and come back when Brian says something else. But let me encourage you. Christians need the gospel. 
Because the gospel is the foundation of our faith, and it is the fuel of our faith. It is how we move forward in our faith following Jesus. And so we got to fight against getting bored with the gospel. We need to preach and remind ourselves of the gospel continually over and over and over again. But, but if you are new, maybe you're just checking things out. Maybe you're not sure about faith. Maybe you're not sure about church or religion. And you're just curious and you're here. We're really glad you're here, by the way. But if that is you, you need to understand that the gospel is the greatest news in all the world. It literally is the only hope that we have and the only way that we can be saved. The only way we can actually come into a relationship with God, which is what you were designed for from the very beginning. So what is the gospel? Well, first off, we're going to see that there's a few elements to it that we can discover from what we already read in Galatians 1. First is this, that everything exists for the glory of God. Paul says this in verse 5, and we have to realize that it all starts with this. The world was created for the glory of God. The cosmos exists for the glory of God. And you and I, we were made for the glory of God. You, you were not made for yourself. You, you were not made just for whatever you desire. We were designed for the glory of God. The second thing we see is this, that we are sinners and that we need a savior. Over and over in this passage, Paul talks about our sin. What is sin? Sin is simply rebellion against God. That you and I, we have rebelled against God. We have said, God, actually, I want to be on the throne of my life, not you. And I want to call the shots. I want to make the decisions. I want to decide what's right and what's wrong. And the Bible calls that sin. And because of this sin, we are separated from God. It, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That in other words, we deserve death. And, and actually, we deserve hell because of our sin. And because of this, we need a savior. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works. We need somebody to save us. But the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ, first and foremost, and you can see it on the screen, that the third thing is that Jesus is God and that he died and he rose again. Paul talks about that Jesus is God even in verse one. He said, I'm an apostle not because of man, but because of Jesus Christ. He's separating and differentiating between the two. Jesus Christ is God. He came to this earth as a human being and he hung on a cross and he paid for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins so that if we believe in him, we can have our sins forgiven and we can have life. And so Jesus is God. He died and rose again. And then the next thing that we see is this, that he died to save us from our sins and to redeem all of creation. So what we see is there's a personal aspect of the gospel, that Jesus came exactly for you. He came for me. But there's also a global aspect of the gospel, that, that because of what Jesus has done, that one day he will come back and he will establish a new heavens and a new earth and make all things new, no sickness, no brokenness, and no pain. And then the last thing that we see is this, that when we receive the gospel, we are saved. And we need to understand that the gospel cannot be achieved. I didn't say when you achieve the gospel, you can be saved. Because the reality is that we cannot do enough good works. We cannot do enough great things in life to make, uh, to earn our love of God. All we can do 
is we can simply receive the free gift of what God has already done for us. Okay, so that is the gospel. That was Paul's message. Now the question is, what is the, what, what is the false teaching? What is the false gospel that is coming into play? And so what we see is this, and you can write it down, that Paul's opponents were preaching Jesus plus the law equals salvation. So basically what happened is this. Jesus, when he was born, he was born a Jew. And he was born to the Israelite people who were the chosen people of God. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. And throughout the Old Testament, there were all of these promises that one day God was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send a Savior who was going to rescue the people from their sins. And so the people were expecting a Savior. They were expecting Jesus to come, but they thought Jesus was going to come, Messiah was going to come, and he was going to restore uh, the, the Jews to their rightful place, and maybe he was going to make the whole world Jewish. That was the expectation that they had. Now, what Jesus did was he came and something different happened. He didn't come to make the whole world Jewish. He came to to do something entirely new. That that he invited the Jews and the Gentiles, a Gentile is someone who's not Jewish, into a brand new people, a brand new humanity, which is the people of God saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so throughout the Bible, what we see is that when Jesus came, the old covenant, the old law was abolished and Jesus did something new. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. But there were many people who said, look, it's fine that you believe in Jesus, but if you're not a Jew, you need to start becoming a Jew because the Jews are the true people of God and you need to start practicing your Jewish faith. And so we actually see throughout the book of Galatians, this is what is happening. And I'll just give you a couple examples from Galatians. One, Galatians chapter four, it says this. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing days, months, seasons, or years. So this days, months, seasons, and years, he's talking about the ceremonial law, the feasts and the festivals and the sacrifices that they would make. And he's saying, don't go back to that. That's not who you are anymore. Jesus is doing something new. Here's another example, Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this, listen, I, Paul, tell you, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. These false teachers were coming to Gentiles, and they were like, hey, you guys know all Jews have to be circumcised. If you want to believe in Jesus, if, if you're a male, you got to be circumcised because you got to become a Jew. I can't imagine why this teaching was taking off. Seriously, that doesn't seem like a popular teaching. But he says this, I'll say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the law of Moses. So here's what he said. He said, listen, if you're going to try to go and live under this law, you have to obey the law perfectly. And none of us can do that. And so he says, listen, you and I, we're not under the law anymore because Jesus came. The gospel says we are under grace. Now, this is a very important point that we need to understand. These people were bringing a false gospel. And what we see from this point is this, that a false gospel does not try to subtract Jesus from the equation. A false gospel tries to add 
to Jesus. So a false gospel says this, I'm glad you believe in Jesus. Awesome, amazing, wonderful, but there's still more that you have to do in order to achieve salvation. And you know, as humans, so often you and I, we're always looking for something new. We're always looking for the next thing, the best thing. And so we can be drawn into these false gospels because it's hard for us to really truly believe that faith in Jesus is enough. And even today, throughout the world, there are false gospels that are bombarding us. And you and I, every day, whether it's in person or online, we are exposed to false gospels. And I want to take a moment and I want to share a few false gospels on the scene today that you and I are tempted to believe. Now, as I was preparing for this, I felt like I should give you a warning, and that is this. These false gospels are oftentimes things that we can hold near and dear to our hearts. And so as I'm sharing these, I'm just letting you know I'm probably going to be stepping on some toes. And so here's, here's the deal. If you're out there and you hear me talking about a false gospel and you're like, yeah, Brian, get them. Just let you know, your toes might be next to get stepped on. Okay? But if, if you're getting like, oh man, my toes hurt. Just, it's okay. Like, I'm going to move on to somebody else's toes in like five minutes, okay? So, here's the deal. Five false gospels that we are tempted to believe right now. The first one is this. Jesus plus good works equals salvation. Now, this is the actual false gospel that they were being taught in Galatians. Jesus plus the law equals salvation. And there are people today who believe that Christians need to hold to the old covenant. They need to keep the ceremonial law and the cleanliness laws and all the food laws. And even maybe people who are younger in the faith are confused, like, should we be doing this? And we got to understand that that is in the Bible for a reason, Genesis through Deuteronomy, or really Exodus through Deuteronomy. That's in the Bible for a reason. It teaches us a lot about God. It teaches us a lot about who he is but we are not under that covenant anymore. That's what Galatians is all about. But that's not the only way that we can say Jesus plus good works equals salvation. Many of us, when we come to God, we are tempted to come to God and say, God, I'm qualified to be a Christian, not because of what you've done, but look at all the great things that I've done. Maybe you're even tempted to feel self-righteous or feel better than somebody else. Because you think, man, like, there's a lot of people in here that really just need God's grace. And I kind of need God's grace, but I've also done some pretty awesome things. I'm pretty special on my own. And there is that temptation to, to hold fast to that. And another thing that we have to be careful of is this. To pick things that are kind of our specific topics that say, okay, well, yeah, Jesus is good. But you also really should be going to Calvary Chapel if you're going to be a Christian. Yeah, Jesus is good, but you really can't watch R-rated movies. You really can not drink. You really cannot smoke to be a Christian. And what we're doing is we're, we're adding something, and it could be a good thing. It could be a good thing, but we're adding it to the qualification for salvation. So Jesus plus good works is salvation. The second thing is this. Jesus equals comfort. Jesus equals comfort. The most famous version of this is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says 
God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to have the biggest house, the biggest bank account, the best car, the best boat. And all you need to be blessed is give money conveniently to me. And we see a lot of TV preachers and that's their heart and that's their message. What is that? That's saying Jesus is great, but here's something else that you need in life. Jesus plus. And so that's a false gospel. Another way that this can creep into our minds and into our life is by sort of this idea of like, well, I'm just going to kind of decree and declare. I'm going to name it and claim it. And God's going to kind of set things up for me. Another way that this Jesus and comfort can come in is you and I can sort of buy into the lie that once I believe in Jesus, he's never going to ask me to do anything hard. He's never going to ask me to sacrifice anything. He's never going to ask me to die to myself at all. And so when Jesus asks us to do something hard, when the the Bible commands us or we hear something and are convicted by it, we're like, that can't be of the Lord. Not for me. Because that's going to be too difficult. Jesus equals comfort. That's a false gospel. The third thing that we see is this. Jesus plus America equals salvation. Now, I'm going to say this. First off, I do believe that we live in a great country. And I believe that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, amazing documents. I think there's a reason why many people desire to move to this country. But we must be very careful. Because it is easy for us to put our entire hope not in Jesus, not in the mission that he's called us to, but in current events, in the latest thing on the news cycle, in a political party, in a political candidate. And what we got to watch is, some of us, the temptation is, yeah, I read my Bible, yeah, I come to church, but my hope is actually based on what I watch on TV. My hope is actually based on what I see online. My hope is based on the different political podcasts that I listen to, and that's where my emotions rise, and that's where my emotions fall. And if you're doing that, you're adding to Jesus, you're distracting yourself from the true message. The fourth false gospel is this, Jesus equals acceptance and tolerance. What this is doing is this is hijacking a truth about Jesus. You see, Jesus loved people. Can we agree that Jesus loved people? Can we agree that God is love, that he is the epitome of what love is? But there are things in our culture that are against God. And sometimes what happens is that, that people come in and they start to take this concept that Jesus loved people and they hijack the definition of love and they say, love is actually total acceptance, total tolerance, total celebration of anything that anyone wants to do. And if you disagree with that, you're actually not loving, you're hating. Now, th- there are some very specific topics that, that I do want to talk about for a moment, and I want to I handle them soberly, but I believe it's worth mentioning. Because I think a lot of times, especially youth, especially young adults, we, we who are trying to follow Jesus are tempted to stray away from the truths of Scripture because of these things. And so a few things that I believe are, are really challenging things even in our time. First off, our view of life, pro-life versus pro-choice. Marriage. And gender, these are things that there is great temptation to compromise on. And the Bible is clear on these things. The Bible says that every human being, 
Every single person is made in the image of God, and so they're valuable. The Bible says that God created male and female, that he designed gender. It's not assigned to you. It's not uh, defined by you, but it is actually designed by God. And also God says that, uh, that, that, that God brought a man and woman together in marriage. Now, here's the thing. The narrative is, if you believe these things, that must mean that you hate people. Christians hate people. Christians hate women who are poor or who are uh, in bad situations and find themselves pregnant. They must hate them. Christians hate the LGBTQ community. And one thing that is true is that there have been many times, and we can all agree on this, there have been many times that Christians have acted unchristlike about these issues. Can we agree with that? Like, there have been times when Christians have been cringy about this. Like, wow, I agree with what you're saying, but you're saying it in a really horrible way. And we got to realize that if you're here and you would say, Brian, like, I've, I've had an abortion. Or, Brian, I'm part of the LGBTQ community. Like, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And we love you. But Jesus, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. And so the grace says, I love you and I serve you. And church, I want you to know we are called to love and serve our community. And so we're called to love and serve the people that we agree with. We're called to love and serve the people in our church, but we're also called to love and serve the people that we disagree with and even the people that would call themselves our enemies. We're called to love them. We're called to be kind to them. There's never a moment when we're allowed to be unkind as Christians. Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. He never called something that was right wrong, and he never called something that was wrong right. And so we as Christians, we stand on the truth of the word of God about these issues. And it's a challenge to be both uh, stand on grace and to stand on truth. But here's where I think it really uh, finds, uh, we can really find the practical application. That if you're someone in here who would disagree with what I just said, maybe that you feel condemned even by what I just said, here's what I want you to know. That our primary message as Christians is not we're right and you're wrong. Our primary message as Christians is every single person needs the gospel. And so each and every single person in here, we're not here and our primary message is I have it figured out. Our primary message is I was lost, I was dead in my sins, I needed a savior, and that savior was Jesus Christ. Come on. And so I need transformation. I need God to change me and transform my heart and transform my life. And the invitation to every single person in here is that Jesus wants to encounter you, he wants to meet you right where you're at, and he wants to change you from the inside out. The fifth and final gospel is this, discovering my true self plus or minus Jesus is salvation. And one of the great narratives out there today is that the most important thing that you can do is discover your truth, discover your inward desires, discover who you truly are. And that anybody who is kind of coming in the way of that or trying to block that is toxic to you. And so what we actually discover through scripture is that the primary goal of your life is not to discover who you are. The primary goal of your life is to discover who God is and to walk with God. And that actually the only true way to know yourself, to know who you are, to know what God has called you to do 
is to walk with him and, and, walk with, and, and walk next to him. So these are the false gospels that are out there. I'm sure there are many more, but those are some prevalent ones today. But here's really the big idea of the teaching and what I want us to focus on as we begin to, to close our teaching today. And it's this, that there is no other gospel. There's only one true gospel. And so the only way that you and I can get saved, the only way we can restore our relationship with God, the only way for hope in this life and hope after death is this, that we must believe in Jesus and we must receive the gospel. I love how it's put in Acts chapter 4. The apostles, they are preaching and they say this in Acts 4. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so I encourage you that if you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, to make that choice to receive Jesus today, to say yes to the gospel. And you'll have an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But three practical thoughts as we close. And I think these, we, we've talked about a bunch of stuff. We've learned history. We've gone really deep. And so I just want to give us three practical takeaways to walk away with. And the first one is this, that new believers need extra teaching, care, and support. And listen, we want to be a church for you if you've been a Christian for 40 years or if you've been a Christian for 40 seconds. And for those of us who maybe have been around the faith a little longer, we know that there's always more to learn. There's always new truths to grasp about God, but there's also old ones that we need to remind ourselves of. But part of our job, if we've been around for a while, is to remember that I'm not just here for me and new believers do need extra care. That's what was happening in Galatia. It was a young church. It was a church that just got started and now they're new Christians and someone's coming in to deceive them. And so what we see is, man, they need extra care. They need extra support. They need extra teaching. Now this does happen as we teach the Bible every week. But I want you to see that it's not just my job. It's not just Pastor Dave's job. And each one of us have a part to play. Many of us in here, we are small group leaders. And, and we lead different Bible studies. And that's a great way for you to invest in new believers and help them grow. But, but you don't have to even be a small group leader. One of the best ways that you can help a new Christian is simply this. First off, just pray that God will show you people in your life that need help growing. And then secondly, just bring them along on your journey of following Jesus. You don't need a program or a tool. Just invite them along. If you're going to church, invite them to come. If you're going to a Bible study or a small group, invite them to come. If you're reading the Bible and you come across a verse that's encouraging, send it to them or invite them to go along with you. All it takes is just simply inviting people to go on that journey with you. So that's the first thing. New believers need encouragement and support. The second thing that we see is this, and you can write it down, that the fear of man prevents true believers from being truly effective. See, see we've talked a lot about the false gospel today. We've talked about believing something incorrectly. But what we also see is that it's possible to believe the right things, but then to still be afraid 
And because of that fear, because of the fear of pleasing others, it actually keeps us from being effective in our relationship with God. Maybe you're asking, Brian, well, where did you get that from? Well, look with me one more time at Galatians, at verse 10 of chapter 1. Paul says this, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul, who's being very bold in this letter, makes it clear that that if you're living in fear of man, if you're living trying to please other people, it's actually putting people's opinions over God's opinion. It's putting man over God. And so some of us in here, as we've been reminded of the gospel, perhaps what we need to do is repent in our hearts of being ashamed of the gospel. We believe it for ourselves, but sometimes we're hesitant to share it with other people. And I want to let you know, when we talk about sharing the gospel, that you don't have to stand up here on a stage to preach the gospel. You don't have to find a street corner and get a soapbox. There are things that God has gifted you and wired you to do that can help you share the gospel. Some of you are incredibly hospitable. You love inviting people into your home and creating a beautiful space for them. Well, God can use that as an open door to talk about your faith. Some of you love serving people, love baking things or, or taking care of, of, of people or taking care of, of, of the needs of people. God can use that compassionate heart to open a door for the gospel. Some of you have a powerful story of how God changed your life, how God broke a chain in your life, how God set you free. And you want to share that story. Well, God can use that story to open up a door towards Jesus. There are many different ways that you can talk about God. How has God gifted you? How has God given you a passion to talk about him? And then the last thing is this, and this is how we'll close that the gospel must be preached and it must be received. And so it must be preached. You and I, at some point, if we're going to help people come to Jesus, we have to explain the gospel. But it also must be received. When Paul was talking about this, he said, the gospel that I preached, but he also said, the gospel that you received. And so the question I have is this, have you received the gospel? Have you believed the good news about Jesus? It's what we've been talking about all day today. But I want you to know, have you done it? Examine yourself. Have you said yes to Jesus and yes to the gift that he has offered to give you? And if you haven't, I believe God wants this to be the day for you. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we're just so grateful for the reminder of who you are. We are grateful for just the gift of Jesus and we're grateful for the gift of the gospel. And God, I pray that for those of us who are Christians, I just ask that we would not be ashamed of it. God, if there's people in here who say, need to say, Brian, I've been living as a, in, in the fear of man when I need to live with the fear of God, I pray that you would teach us that reverence for you so that we can seek you and align our hearts with you. But now I just want to create just a moment. Maybe there's people in here who need to truly say yes and give their hearts to Jesus. 
you've heard the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, that, that he rose again to give you new life, that he loves you, and that he's inviting you into life with him. There may be people in here who have never done that, and for the first time today, you want to become a Christian. Or maybe you've walked away from God and you want to rededicate your life. Either way, I do want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And so if that's you and you want to say yes, you want to receive the gospel, here's what I want you to do. I just want you right now, as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, I want you to just slip your hands in the air. Just this weekend, we've seen people say yes and receive the gospel. So right now you can do that. Put your hands in the air. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Amazing. Anybody else want to join these? Awesome. I see you in the balcony. Thank you. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I see you. Awesome. And as you are raising your hand, and for those of you who have already put it up, you can put your hands down. If anybody else wants to slip up their hand, you're not saying yes to me. You're saying yes to Jesus. You're receiving the gift of Jesus. So for those of you who raise their hands, and maybe you're watching online and you're raising your hand in your room. For those of you who raise their hand, just pray a simple prayer with me. This is not a magic word type prayer. This is simply you receiving the gift of Jesus, just say, dear Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I know there's nothing I can do to earn salvation. Thank you for giving it to me freely. Thank you for grace. I receive the free gift of grace. Help me to follow you. Bring people around me that are going to encourage me in my walk. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.